Remnants? What? Oh, jeez. I was doing a radio interview a couple days ago, and the guy asked me about the grabber. The grabber? <gasps> really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? He was, he was looking for some pointers and stuff. You know, and this is a guy who'd been in the business, I think, for quite a while, but he he really understood that, you know, I knew a lot about the grabber, the... The, the, the I said, you mean the CO? He said, yeah, yeah, the CO. That's interesting because um, on radio, it's a lot less important to grab somebody because people just kind of turn on their radio whenever they get in the car or something like that. Whereas with podcasts, they start at the beginning. No, that's ridiculous. It's even more important to grab somebody. But you never know when they're going to turn on the radio. You got to be grabbing constantly. In a podcast, you 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 know no, that they're starting no, at the beginning. No, say they have that. No, you have to assume, you have to assume people have been. You know, they're at their work, right? They have the radio on, or maybe they've been driving a long way, and now it's your shift, right? Oh, it's, I see. Yeah, you know, it's you noon. It's you know, now it's the Adam Felber show. <laughs> What's so funny? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's so funny about that, Paula? Paula. Paula. What the Adam Felber show's not that laughable. Paula? Oh, oh, sorry. So then it's the Adam. Paula, I, I, I fail to see what's so amusing about the idea of an Adam Felber show. It's oh. the, yeah, so now it's, hey, folks, it's time for the Adam Felber show. This and, is insulting. Um, <laughs> and so. See, there you go again. Well, that's, that's why I've really been working hard to teach you about the grabber, because you're going to need that when you, you're going to need that. When you're when? off, you know, when you're, when you take flight, you know, when your wings, <laughs> you know, when. <laughs> I feel like no. I've taken a lot of flight already, Paula. <laughs> yeah. You know, waiting around to take flight. Adam, you know, you got to set your sights higher, you know? Well, you're on every show, and we are so proud of that. Yeah, um, thank you. Here thank at you Nobody much. Listens to Paula Poundstone. But yeah. then also you do... I feel like do I do more the, than that, but yeah. You do that other show, that other podcast, which seems to me like a lateral move, the other podcast, is it, whereas, you, you know... Gas Station TV. Gas Station TV is out there. And I feel like you own Gas Station TV. Like, you and I both do a <laughs> podcast together, and you and I both do Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I think we go in different directions from there. You know, you're Gas Station TV. I'm writing unsuccessful screenplays. Yeah. That's my dream. But you, too, could be on Gas Station TV. But you got to do that grabber. Because people are filling up their tank. Well, like what? I mean, like, here we are at the beginning of our show, and I'm not grabbed. Slightly humiliated, yeah. maybe, but not grabbed. <laughs> <laughs> the Adam Felber show. That's not so funny. I'll have you know I was hosting radio shows when you were in short pants, Paula Poundstone. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie's oh like the worst gosh. girlfriend ever. The idea that I lived at all before I came to her is just abominable. <laughs> <laughs> like once I worked with Melton Burrow and his wife didn't laugh at anything he said. Well, that's relevant. What was the point of that? Well, I just said <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Is this the Milton Burl's wife section of the show? That's yeah. that's usually not a part of the grabber. 
I'll tell you, that is, you know, when you say, now we're going to talk about Milton Berle's wife, that's not, <laughs> that doesn't, people were just about to switch to another podcast and then they heard something about Milton Berle's wife and they got themselves comfy in a chair. Do you have yeah. any more Milton Berle's wife stories, Bonnie? Well, let's see. I'll tell you what it was like to work with them. Like you'd make a suggestion. No, Milton Berle's no, wife. No, wife. Okay. She probably had the same experience as I did working with the guy, which was a million years ago. I don't want you to think I'm that old, even though I like to exaggerate about my age. So she probably had the same experience, which was she would say an idea like, Milton, why don't we go to the grocery store? And he would go, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. We should go to the grocery store. I feel like you're you're <laughs> extrapolating from your own experiences here, Bonnie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm saying it wasn't the grocery store. I'd suggest stuff and then he'd go, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And then he'd say the idea like it was his own and we should that, do I, it. No, I, I got yeah, that the first right. time. Yeah. He did that with you, with he his took wife. took my mom out. And he she's took married. <laughs> he took well, her he was Chinese married. food. You know, he was... <laughs> Just famous for flashing women all the time. I know. I gave my mom a job on that show. It had a bunch of different celebrities on it, including Lucille Ball, who my mom had always idolized. So I gave my mom a job as a runner on that show. She flew down from Seattle, put on her little tennis shoes, and she worked as a runner. And Lucille Ball made her cry. Do you know why? Why? Because Lucille Ball took all the stuff out of the dressing room, the toilet paper and the soap, and it was so disappointing for my mom. She was like, she took the soap out of the bathroom. <laughs> I feel like we have a very low-key grabber this week. I know. You know what? We're not going to use any of this. No. I wasn't even going to say anything. <laughs> no, we're not going to use it. You know why we're not going to use any of this? Because it sucks. Because we don't, <laughs> because, well, for one thing, because when we asked Bonnie to tell a story about Milton Berle's wife, she told the story about her own experience with That's Milton Berle. And, and the way she wedged it in was, I'm sure Milton Berle's wife had the same experience. Well, that was that's, lame. That was really Yeah, that's lame. really quite a. I didn't a, really know her. You didn't know Pearl Berle? That's not her name. I Wasn't wish it, it was. Barbara or something? <laughs> yeah. And, now we're and then they had a daughter. It was Pearl Burl's girl. <laughs> uh, I still don't think we've hit the grabber. You know, I was thinking here's one thing we could do. Yeah. Like when uh -huh. I was watching these TV shows, what happens is they like, they oh have an God. intro that you're catches you up to what's been going on. You're so not like our start show has a lot of callbacks what and they, they might do not on make television. sense to people because they don't know what happened in the past. So you All right, let me try it like, then. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Pre previously on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, Paula said. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Great idea, yeah. Burns. No, and then it could be like. Tony Anita Hall got COVID, and there's something from that. And then, you know, a little blurb from something. And then when we do the callbacks, people know what we're talking about. No. No. That's why they do that on television. <laughs> yeah. No. So you can catch up. No. There's a 
story that they're telling. We're not telling a story. Why do you always choose a medium that's totally different from what we're doing and then go, well, here's what they do that, you know, in presidential politics. When we talk, we should have bubbles with text appear over our heads. Yeah, because they do that in comic strips. Like when you talk about me taking a shower. People don't know know what we're talking about. How could we possibly go back and catch everyone up on everything that's been said in 200 and something episodes? I know. I know. A show only has a season. Right. Previously, Bonnie showered with zero Mustel. Yeah. No, wrong. It wasn't? You said that it was before. Now we're at the Uh, part we're going to take out again. And I'm really taking it out. Just to catch the listener that may not have listened to all the shows... I, I think it was episode 172. Bonnie Burns said she showered with zero mustel. Absolutely. 100%. Now they're caught up. All right. Here we go then. Let's start the show. Okay. You know what? This might be the first show where we have a really short grabber. Like three sentences and we're done. I, um, you know what? It doesn't matter because remember we agreed. We're not doing we're not a grabber. doing a, a cold open. <laughs> yeah, Good. I'm that's glad. True. Let's get started. Here we go. Coming to you live from what? Wait. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say. How about not saying anything? (laughs) How's that one? Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) I can see you leaning forward, Bonnie. Lean back. (laughs) Lean away from the microphone. Step away from the mic. All right, I'm not going to do anything. Of course you're not. I swear. Okay. <laughs> Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles. In television California. shows, do they God usually interrupt the yeah. intro? <laughs> Is that a Never. thing? Never. Never. It's yeah. considered unprofessional. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California. What about in the Marvel movies? Do they do, they do that in the Marvel Marvel movies? Well, that's a fun thing we do that not everybody showed us. Both of you? Really? Both of you? Mm-hmm. No, Paula. They don't do interrupting in Marvel movies. They just run the credits. Mm-hmm. 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 Coming to you live from our house of Spider-Man! Okay. What was that? What was that? Spider-Man! That's not even a thing. It is. Sure it is. What, what? Spider-Man. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, my mistake. Coming to you live okay, from our wait, house. I learned a what? new word God. that has to do with spider. Do you know what this means? Spidey sense. Yeah, I know what that means. Yes. <laughs> you do? You mean you I learned a new word. First of all, that's two words. And second of all, what are you talking about? You learned a new word. I saw it and then I looked it up. He, he had this sort of like um, extra sense when there was some danger nearby. Mm-hmm. His head would tingle. Yeah, that's Spidey sense. Yeah, I know, Bonnie. What the fuck does that have to do with what we're trying <laughs> okay. to do here? Do you get okay. that, Adam? Do you get like a Spidey sense when you're trying to do the introduction? Do you feel like, uh-oh, uh-oh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do, Paul. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> Coming to you live. You there. I thought I was getting to that before you were going to talk. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> we're good now. Here we go. Stop 
Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. I can't believe I've gotten this far. Tonight, so far on this podcast, we've made you love ants, spiders, and pigeons. And how did we do that? Well, we have a secret ingredient, and her name is Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice. And tonight, she's back to answer all your questions about nature's creepiest and crawliest creatures on our first ever Bugabalooza. And if that's not enough to make you call the exterminator, we're bringing back our own accidental plant exterminator. Yes, it's time for another edition of Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. Trigger warning, you might want to move your tomato plants out of the room. <laughs> I'm Adam Felber, this podcast worker ant, diligently following the trail of sweet, sweet information and bringing the news back to you, my beloved colony. And now, please welcome the human grasshopper, who will keep on fiddling because she knows summer will never end. And thanks to climate change, she may be right. It's Paula Poundstone! Hey, you guys, who I haven't spoken to before because I've been in the luxurious dressing room backstage. And thank you to tonight's house band, John Storer, on the guitar. Yeah, John Storer. Yay! Thank you, John. Hey, Paula Poundstone, what's new with you? Why can't I remember any information given to me? It's so frustrating because I, you know how they always say like a lifelong learner? I'm not a lifelong learner because I can't remember shit. As you know, I can't remember the vocabulary word. I mean, I do that quiz for Tony about a former vocabulary word. The only reason I know the answer is because I look it up. I, I couldn't do it either. Well, it's not like Tony's batting a thousand. <laughs> I can't do Like today's vocabulary word, I will not be able to remember by the end of the show. What is wrong with me? I don't think there's anything wrong with you. Puzzles are supposed to help with memory. I used to do, you mean like a jigsaw puzzle? Sudoku? I'm not doing Sudoku. People doing Sudoku, they always look like they have Kleenex stuffed up their sleeves. It, I'm not doing okay. Sudoku. There goes that demographic. By the way, wow. By the way, I have a, my pockets are bulging with bulging with Kleenex. But just I don't put them up my sleeve. That's all. It's very important to alienate people one listener at a time. That's okay, I'm really excited because. Uh, You know how one time I talked about that on LinkedIn, I get an email from LinkedIn that says one person is noticing me on LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, I never, as far as I know, I never, I I certainly don't remember ever filling out a LinkedIn. It just sort of appeared one day. And it seems to me that they're going out of their way to insult me by saying that that only one person is noticing me on LinkedIn. But today I doubled Two people. Wow. Two people are noticing me on LinkedIn. And you don't even know that you're on LinkedIn. You're on. Yeah, it says celebrated comedian as your title on LinkedIn. I put you up there a million years ago. You put me on LinkedIn? I put you up there. And you didn't feel the need to talk to me about it? You didn't feel the need to say, do you want to be on LinkedIn? I think that's when we got on the internet and all that stuff, and I just thought, why not put her on LinkedIn? (laughs) It doesn't matter. You would still ask me. Wouldn't you? That's one of the worst ideas I ever heard, to quote yeah. uh, Milton Berle. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I think at the time I was just putting out all these feelers to see what came in. I think it was so minor. It, 
It wouldn't have occurred to me to even ask you. Well, at least we now know what those people who are thinking of you on LinkedIn are thinking. And it's like, what the fuck is she doing on LinkedIn? I was thinking, boy, our manager went rogue about 20 years ago, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> what if somebody, this was back a long time ago, what if somebody went on there looking for a comedian? I don't think that's where you go to look for a comedian. Well, maybe back then they did. I don't know. I was yeah. trying everything. The, don't make it sound so desperate, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was trying to do a good Jesus, job. I was trying to get somebody to book her. Oh, my God. Honestly. I couldn't get her a lawn mowing job, for Christ's sake. I was doing everything I could. Oh, my God. Remember those days? Just a few days ago. Um, all right. All right. Listeners, uh, listeners, this is very, very important. So listen up, for God's sakes. Um Jocelyn Benson is the Democratic candidate for Secretary of State in Michigan. And I'm sure that Jocelyn Benson could use support. So go to, I don't know what it is, look it up, Jocelyn Benson dot something and uh, contribute. And also Adrian Fortes is the Democratic nominee for Secretary of State in Arizona. And uh, both those states are going to be very important and there, I believe, certainly Adrian Fortes, I believe, is running against, I think they're both running against uh, election deniers. Yeah. So uh, so we hear it, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, and that includes my LinkedIn following, are uh, <laughs> doing our out. part to yeah. encourage people to support those. VoteBenson.com and uh, Adrian Fortes in Arizona. Um, yeah. And with that, I want to bring this week's book club to order. We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club with a new book. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, little there. Really liked it. Well done, Bonnie. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we are, of course, reading The Hacienda, which is a, a just a bang-up novel. We read chapters 6 through 10 this week. I wrote a very short summary of what you might have missed if you weren't reading. Okay. Things are not right at the Hacienda San Isidro. Beatrice's husband has left, and she is being tormented, and her new sister-in-law and the housekeeper definitely know about it. They won't sleep in the house because the house is, as they say in Mexico, completely fucked up. Things appear and disappear, like fake walls and corpses and giant chests soaked in blood. Finally, Beatrice goes to church and meets the young priest Andre, who is also the heir to some mystical non-Catholic shit and just might be able to help her before her awesome new house literally murders her. Also, they really kind of dig each other, which always turns out well in this kind of story. All right, Paula, the Hacienda, talk to me. Oh my gosh, I am absolutely loving it. It's very scary. And I am dressing up as the Hacienda for Halloween. The actual Hacienda or one of the characters? <laughs> no, the uh, Hacienda. The, the, that's a two-floor kind of sprawling house. You're going to dress up as that? Yeah, Tony said she'd help me. You know, oh, yeah. she's a master craftswoman. <laughs> yeah, she's a yeah, yeah. We are right at the beginning of Tony's special season. Yeah, it, it, you know. By chapter 10, and I'll be honest, I listened to chapter 11 as well, but I'm not going to tell you what happened. Oh, Paula Poundstone, you're flirting with the censure. I did too. You did uh -oh. too? 
It was hard not to keep going. It is compelling, but I have to say it has that problem that a lot of scary movies have, which is the whole time you're saying, well, get the fuck out of the house. We'll get out. We'll get out of there. In the light of day, she goes out and does stuff. And then she comes back to the house and just there's no reason to just get out of the house. I think this book actually does a pretty good job explaining why she's uh, not leaving. I agree. You know, she's got nothing. Her father was dragged away and probably shot. She has no money. She was living in, like, her aunt's house and clearly not very welcome there. This is her one shot, and she just has to make it work. And it's during a time of revolution. Like, everybody's insecure because people are getting killed right and left. Well, yes, still. And by the way... (laughs) I had a very similar experience that she's having. At one point, she's making a list of the house repair projects and she's going through the house and she, you know, there's a door that's blocked off. I mean, that kind of thing is just so frustrating. It's like, well, the door's, it's fucking blocked off. Leave, stop, leave it. But she, you know, (laughs) unjams the door somehow and she goes down the hallway of the, and a brick wall appears and then the brick wall falls apart and there's a skeleton in there. Yeah. And uh, I have had a very similar experience. So I'm able, I think part of the reason I like the book so much is that I relate to it. What's your relatable experience to that? Remember that time there was a possum out my house, outside of my house? Yes. Did, yeah. But, how, no, but, but wait a minute. I don't Not, remember that. that the, you don't remember? <laughs> oh my God. I, was, I, I think was, you're talking about me. Aren't you? I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Why would I call... What? Oh, you did you guys remember that? Yeah. She had a possum at her house? Night after night, I was scared to death. Oh. Night after night, I would hear noise outside my window. I was convinced there was someone, like, stalking me, looking in through the window, which it would, you know, if there's somebody stalking me, you know, that means a Bonnie, another potential employee. <laughs> so, uh, let's recruit a fan. <laughs> um, so I, I really was terrified. And I finally okay. called, I, I mean, night after night this morning, I, and I would put up paper on the window during the day um, because at night I just laid there drenched in sweat. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And I was afraid to call, like I had a security company, but I was afraid to call them. I didn't think, I didn't want them to think I was a nutter. So, and I would go out in the daytime and I'd look to see if I saw like footprints out there, like I was Nancy Drew or something. I'm exhausted. I haven't slept in a long time because I've been so scared. So finally one night I called the security company. They sent a guy over. I said, you can't come to the door. Because I will, I will shoot through the ceiling if you if you ring the doorbell. So he said, "Don't go." So the guy comes and I can hear him. I think they even called me and said, "Okay, he's there." And he's walking around the perimeter of the house, and I can hear like his whole his leather holster, you know, creaking, and I can hear his heavy boots walking around. And uh, and then they call me and they go, "Mr. Poundstone." I go, "Yeah." And they go, "There is a giant possum in front of your house." <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So you can see that the Hacienda is, in fact, it's almost plagiarism. It's almost lifting that story. I don't uh, think so. Yeah. Hey, does anybody else have anything else they want to say about the Hacienda? I feel like Paula's covered it with her possum story. I kind of do. Okay, go Uh, ahead, Bonnie. Well, I agree. I think the book is great. I'm listening to it. uh, There's a man and woman reader and the... 
woman anyway has like the perfect voice. She sounds a little young, but like old enough to be in this situation. And I couldn't stop listening either. I think I'm actually on chapter 12. But the whole time I was listening to it, at first I was thinking, this is like a Scooby-Doo episode. Like they're going to find out the person who goes, wanna, 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 is, um, you know, somebody <laughs> behind a curtain talking into a microphone. <laughs> And yeah, then, I would have made it too if not for you meddling kids. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and then I started thinking, oh, this is this book reads like a perfect movie. Also, like I was wondering if somebody's optioned it already. I mean, I just can see, see she already. The, she's I can't already help thinking myself. from a business. I'm point always of view. thinking, yeah. like, what's the next step? Didn't you think? Yeah. Did you look the author up on LinkedIn right away? I did not look the author up yet, but I am going to read up on Spanish Inquisition because I knew about it, but I don't feel like I really remember much. Well, this isn't the Spanish Inquisition. It's not? No. No. They say the Inquisition. They do, they do say the Inquisition. But it's not the Spanish Inquisition. You're thinking, you're thinking of the San Diegan Inquisition. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Inquisitions, uh, they've had a lot of them. Uh, there was the Oxnard Inquisition. Do you remember that? Yeah. That was a terrible yeah. time. Oh, yeah. And, and the San and Diego the, Inquisition was actually just a game show. No, it was a, it was a, a trip that you could take uh, if you won a game show. Oh, Where right. Where is she going? <laughs> Where is she going, Jay? To the San Diego Inquisition, Bob. <laughs> She'll be shackled to a wall. <laughs> so is it her dad that's the... The Mexican side for freedom and the Rodolfo or whatever his name is, a husband on the other side. It's complicated. It seems like both Rodolfo and her dad sided with the insurgents who eventually took over the government. But like Rodolfo is still kind of on the ins, even though some of the aristocracy has managed to maintain their position, whereas the dad, I think, was eventually, for reasons that we don't understand, uh, deemed a traitor to the new regime. Are we reading the same book? Yeah. You haven't even mentioned the possum. The story's very similar. <laughs> Possums. It's very similar. It's very I got no I got very sparse hair on my tail. Wana, wana, wana. Possum yelling wana. All right, I'm gonna call the book club to a close. That's I mean, I can't wait to read. Wait, uh, to, oh Tony, do you want to say something read, about Tony? <laughs> Tony, did you oh. actually read? Tony read. <laughs> If Paul is the hacienda for Halloween, I'm going to be the cat. <laughs> there is, there no, is cat. no cat. Tony, did you read? I did start reading it. I just am not caught up. Oh my gosh! Oh, wait, my. where are you? Where are you now? Maybe like page twelve. <laughs> she was. <laughs> Tony was at Disneyland yesterday, and all day long she kept trying to sit down on a bench. I did and read the I, hacienda. I was and reading. Everybody's like. There. Yeah, she just I, I kept... move to center, Tony Anita Hall. I agree. I will ca I'm going to catch There's up. There's no excuse. I was reading, I just started, <laughs> and they did mention cats. They mentioned cats. Yeah, it turns out yeah. there are no cats. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I'm not there yet. Yeah. I don't think you're up to page 12. <laughs> we said that several times during the show last week when but you then, were here. But then I, I mean, I was hoping they'd show up. I thought maybe you're joshing me. Oh my God! Wanda, She's Wanda. Um, you are super censured, Tony Anita Hall. I would like to have 
goofy censure Tony and Nita Hall. I think that's how it should have been done. <laughs> I did draw Goofy yesterday at the animation again. There you go. You did? That's not the same as reading the Hacienda. <laughs> no, if I could just not I, I brought my Similar. iPad with me and was reading it. I just didn't get very far. Suddenly, I feel Thank like you. all things considered, you, you did a really good job on the Sammy Davis report. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to catch up. Mark my words. I will be prepared. Mm-hmm. Why don't you listen to it? I'd much rather read than listen. Yeah, you're doing a great job with that. Okay, that. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> I have to censure Bonnie Bird. <laughs> Nobody's going to second that. She, no, I think of the two things that you're not doing, you'd rather not. You'd rather not listen. I see. I don't. She, I, I, no, I she'd read. rather not read than not listen. Because I can read. I feel like faster than I can listen. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, well, I am closing the book club. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, one censure, Tony Anita Hall. She now leads the league in censures this time around. <laughs> and uh, Paula, do you have a word this week? Oh, my gosh. I do, Adam. It's importune. It's a verb that means harass someone with Persistent requests. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. Tony Anita Hull has a tendency to importune to get her way. She <laughs> importuned the fuck out of us to get Tony's craft corner on the show. Yeah, she did. Importuning comes up a lot. It would be such a great word to have ready for use in my back pocket. God, I wish I could remember. Let's try putting it into the vocabulary song. Uh, here we go. Wait. <clears throat> uh, this week's word is importune. It's a verb that means harass someone with persistent requests. Sonny Bono used to say, stop asking if you can borrow my furry vests. Last week's word was implacable. It's an adjective that means unwilling to stop opposing someone or something against the Rams. We'll never win that dumb ring. The week before that, the word was grotty. It's an adjective that means unpleasant and of poor quality. This shitty hotel isn't a good place for our frivolity. Going back before that, the word was perfunctory. It's an adjective that means carried out with very little effort or interest. Just slap together whatever shit was simplest. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable. Replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Woo! Well done. Bravo! All right, now, Paula Poundstone, I want to remind you that this week's word is what? Importune. Importune, exactly. And Paula Poundstone, if you manage to remember this week's word and remember to use it correctly, in context, in a sentence, sometime during this show, you will win the right to send, share a dollar. A check for a dollar. I send a check for a, a dollar. check for a dollar. It's up to you, oh but yes, a check gosh. for a dollar. You will earn the right to do that. If you can somehow use importune correctly during this show, good luck, Paula Poundstone. Oh, my God. You know, I have a terrible, terrible memory, but I, can't, I, I just can't stand the image of Cher going to her mailbox and not finding a check from me. 
Uh, uh, so I'm going to do my very best. Tony Anita Hull, who calls in sick on the birthday of the man who invented glitter. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Rushman, October 11th. If you can, without Googling or receiving the answer from any outside source or cheating in any way, tell me which of A through D <laughs> is meant when someone is told not to cavil. A former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. We will give literally dollars worth of advertising to the Lit Bar at 131 Alexander Avenue in the Bronx, New York. However, and I'd rather put up Steve Bannon-themed wallpaper in my living room than even <laughs> think about it. But if you cannot tell me which of A through D is meant when someone is told not to cavil, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to the Lit Bar at 131 Alexander Avenue, the Bronx, New York. And that, that, would, that would break little Tony Anita Hall's heart because... <laughs> She uh -huh. would love to give literally dollars worth of advertising to the lit bar at 131 Alexander Avenue in the Bronx in New York. Nothing, nothing but a decorative potholder could give her more pleasure. Don't be nervous, Tony Anita Hall. You're a powerful woman. Use your <laughs> inner strength. Tony Anita Hall, are you ready? Yes. When someone is told not to cavil, are they being asked... To not walk directly behind a horse. B. To not create carcinogenic particulates in the air. C. To not make trivial complaints or objections. Or D. To not be taken in by a veneer of charm. Don't, don't you need a help? Paul can read them again if you need her to. You, you take your time. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, Tony, the lit bar <laughs> at 131 <Alton laughs> Avenue in the Bronx, New York is dependent on you. Uh, I know. I'm going to say C. <laughs> Yay. Congratulations, Tony Nidaho, and congratulations to the Lit Bar at 131 Alexander Avenue in the Bronx in New York. Cavil is a verb that means make trivial complaints or objections, so the answer is C. We recommend that if you're in the Bronx area, you stop by the Lit Bar at 131 Alexander Avenue in the Bronx in New York and buy some banned books. Tony Anita Hall, I'm so proud of you. You must have been studying all day at Disneyland yesterday. <laughs> well, she certainly wasn't reading a book. <laughs> she has a lot on her plate, Adam Phillips. She's got cruises and vacations and, and uh, uh, crafts. And, 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 you know, it's her season now as we move into Halloween. And, of course, it's back to school season. There's a lot of crafts for that. She's very busy. Mrs. Culpepper, you remain a Tony Anita Hull apologist, and it is uh -oh. unbecoming. <laughs> I, I very much admire Tony Anita Hull because she's making, she's, uh, she's growing and developing, and she's moving up as opposed to you who's made a lateral move to some other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, Mrs. Culpepper. It seems like you have the same opinion of it, uh, of Dad Van Land that Paula Poundstone does. We've talked. Okay. <laughs> you know, Isabella Rossellini once said, mammals are very close to us, but bugs, bugs are strange. They're more mysterious and exotic. 
Which is odd, because that's how I feel about Isabella Rossellini. Anyway, we'll explore the exotic and strange world of bugs when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life, right now I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince, of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft (laughs) and and so comfortable honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't (laughs) think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Adam, you know, I have a house full of cats and a couple of big dogs. So I have this one cat who every night likes to stand in the hallway and yowl. And he has kind of a, a little bit like me, because uh, of allergies, 
I don't know why he has it, but his name is Theo and he has a really grovelly voice. So he'll, it's, it's hard to describe it. I can't do a good impression, um, but it's a little dusty, gravelly voice. Okay. So earlier I was laying on the living room floor because I'm exhausted and I'm wearing a nylon fiber fill vest. As I'm laying on the floor, Theo shoves his head through one sleeve of the vest and crawls up and is now stuck inside in between my back and the vest and is yowling (laughs) because he can't get out. And then finally his head comes out the other sleeve and he goes out. What's not to love? That's what I say. What is not to love? Which brings me to this. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of your family. You know that already. And you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. Go ahead, ask me. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA, Pet health insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. That's a lot of pets. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash Paula. That's ASPCA. We spell that A-S-P-C-A. PetInsurance.com slash Paula. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Isadora Duncan said, I like this dress, but it needs something. Do you have any scarves? (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Thank you, house band John Storer. Yay! Paula. Adam. It seems like something's bugging you. Adam, Julie Peterson, professor of entomology at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, estimates that there are 10 quintillion insects on the globe. I never had a quintillion. I would have if my family had stayed in Alabama, and I would have taken dance lessons, too, and worn gloves. It's no wonder everyone has so many questions about bugs. It's no wonder when we told people we were going to do a Bugapalooza show, we got so many nobodies writing in questions. I have to confess, though, I I don't know much about bugs. I feel terrible because I got all these people to write in questions, and I'm not going to be able to answer any of these questions. I thought I could do it just by Googling, and then I found out there's an estimated 10 quintillion insects on the globe. And, you know, I don't Google as fast as Tony Anita Hall. I couldn't possibly answer all those questions. I feel terrible to disappoint people. 
We probably have nobodies who wrote in because they were bitten by some crunchy orange bug with black eyes and long pincers and their leg is ballooned up and they're waiting to be told if they're dying. But I, I, I can't really help. Someone could help. There's someone somewhere who knows about bugs. But the odds of me getting to talk to this expert are very slim. Especially not before our nobody bug bite victim's tongue starts to swell. Yeah, well, you know what, Paula Poundstone, you and our hypothetical victim who you're now concerned with are both in luck because we have an expert here today who just so happens to be expert in that very area of bugs. No. Oh, yeah. You've met her before. That's a coincidence on a bun. Yeah, it sure is. I, I sometimes wonder if maybe you should listen to me when I introduce the show. No. Okay. No. That's <laughs> we have author, true. senior that's science editor, and founder of Verdant Word, and entomologist, by the way. Please welcome back one of our favorites, returning champion, Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice. Hey, everybody. Yay, I'm glad to be back. I've missed you. We've missed you. We've had so many questions. I've been dive-bombed by pigeons. I thought you said they were good. Uh, what were you wearing in your hair? <laughs> a nest. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah. I'm still, I'm still broken up over the Paula and Adam pigeons uh, getting murdered in your yard there, Eleanor. How are the other pigeons holding up? Oh, that was horrid. They're, they're alive. I've never had that happen before or since. <laughs> what does that say? And it was really sad. I think that's certainly the last time anything will be named after us, Adam, uh, with that kind of... I was going to try it again, but I, I can't. I don't have the heart to do it. I'm too scared of what might happen yeah, to I, I would go with Mamie and Ike if I were you. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's popular. Um, so, uh, Eleanor, we've got all these questions from our fans on the internets for you, from Twitter, from Facebook, from email. Um, are you ready to field some questions? Let's do it. Okay. Tony Anita Hull, step on down and offer our listener questions to Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice. The first one is from at Cornbread on Instagram. Um, do bugs feel pain or just physical distress slash threat? Oh, that's a really good question. And I'm glad people are asking that question because a lot of people have caused a lot of pain to the bugs in their lives. Because the answer is yes, they do feel pain. And they don't only feel acute pain. Like if I, if I pinch you and you say, ow, you know, that just short-lived pain, they also have found that bugs can feel chronic pain. So if you injure a bug, they found that if the, after the bug heals, it will still favor that injured area, like its leg, it'll still favor it, even though it's healed. So we know that they can feel acute and chronic pain, but what we don't know is how they feel it and like that we know to feel pain because we have a physical response to pain and we also have an emotional response to pain. I don't know about you, but if somebody hits me, I'm going to get my feelings hurt, you know, or I might be afraid. And we don't know if the level of pain they feel, but we do know that they do feel pain. Yes. And they could have chronic pain. So there could be like a Walter <laughs> Brennan uh, uh, yeah. bug out there that just a yeah. <laughs> long time yeah. ago, or he can, t or he can tell when it's going to, Rain because his old knee injury starts acting up. Yeah. His old thorax injury. <laughs> <laughs> We've learned so much about bug pain, even in the last five years, that there's a whole global shift in the way that we do entomological research to make it more ethical. I mean, if you think about it, many years ago, we thought that like dogs didn't feel pain or cats didn't feel pain. And we do all these horrible things to them in the lab. And 
So the more that we learn, the more we're changing things to treat them better as we study them. We're still killing them, but, you know, we are trying to kill them softly, I guess. Uh, You know, this idea that anybody could ever have thought cats don't feel pain. I will um, be about to step on my cat's tail or paw. (laughs) And and I can, you know, like I've got as far as I can feel their their fur brush, you know, under. But I have not stepped down. And the cat's like, (laughs) (laughs) so, so, yeah, I don't know who could have gotten the idea that cats don't feel pain. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I, I mean, I, I pick them up and throw them outside usually when I find a bug in my house. Do you think that it's creating agony for them as I throw them outside? Because they're small, it doesn't hurt smaller things to fall greater distances. Yeah. Right, but they are being removed from the place they've chosen to live. Do bugs experience homelessness? They do experience homelessness because, and we've talked about this on your show before, most yeah. of the bugs that are living in your house have never been outside, nor do they know what to do when they get outside is with the spiders especially but some of them just happen to be in there and it's an accident so you gotta let them back out so it's good for you just to err on the side of letting them go i when i throw them out you know i pick them up in a in a kleenex or something and i throw them out but i i then provide like some camping gear so they're fine (laughs) i'm not worried about that oh yeah that's good tony let's have another question yeah maddie burns on facebook writes do bugs sleep And if they do, why don't we find sleeping bugs all over the place? That's a great question. And they do sleep. Um, One thing you have to have to go to sleep is a central nervous system, which they have. You also need a circadian rhythm, which, which they have. That's the thing that tells you when to sleep and when to wake up, among other things. And bugs have both of those things. Some insects are nocturnal, so they're awake in the nighttime, but they sleep in the day. And some are diurnal, so they're sleeping at night like most of us do, right? The reason you don't find sleeping bugs all over the place is, first of all, it's they hide when they're asleep so that you don't eat them. Because when they go to sleep, they're harder to disturb. They're like us. You know, they don't realize that we're sneaking up on them. But the other reason is that they don't have eyelids. So you can't tell that they're asleep, really, because they don't they can't close their (laughs) eyes. But they're harder to like move. You know, you can push at them. Sometimes you'll find moths, for example, which, you know, are usually active at night. You can sneak up on them and poke at them and they don't go anywhere. It's because they're asleep. Leave them alone. And also caffeine can keep them up, too. Um, If they drink your uh, coffee and soft drinks and stuff, and that can disrupt their sleep patterns. Just in case you're wondering. Wow. And how did anybody figure that out, Eleanor? They, they, in a lab somewhere, they served soda to a sweat bee? <laughs> well, they just study the effects of, cat, of uh, different drugs on bugs a lot of times because they're easy to bother because, of course, we didn't think they felt any pain. So um, there are a lot of things that we know that bugs uh, are affected by. Cocaine is another one. And it's really oh, helpful when you're looking at, like, dead bodies um, of people because you can tell if they've done drugs because they bugs develop a lot faster in those that have died of like cocaine overdoses. It speeds up their metabolism. They become untrustworthy too. <laughs> they talk a lot. They're borrowing yeah. a lot of shit all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they do sleep. And if you keep bugs up, if like you keep bothering them and waking them up, they have to take naps the next day to make up for it. They need their rest. That is adorable. It really is. So, yes, they do sleep. All right. Hey, Tony, let's have another question. These are great. 
Uh, from Facebook, Miranda Thompson writes, what's the worst possible bug that could go inside your ear? I had a wood roach end up inside my ear canal, and boy, that was quite the ER adventure. Way worse than Bonnie's earbud adventure. <laughs> Bonnie probably has whole colonies, whole colonies yes. of bugs in her ears, because she, so, she would never notice. What's a wood roach anyways, Eleanor? A wood roach is a type of roach that lives outside. They don't come in. They're, they're pretty small. Um, they're probably about the size of maybe two of your pinky fingernails. Um, and they're really helpful for the environment. They shouldn't be in your ear. But I, I don't actually know <laughs> the worst possible bug that can be in your ear. But I, I do think we should talk about bugs going in your ear because it's more common than you would think. It's rare but not uncommon. Does that make sense? Or is it, yeah, yeah. rare, but it happens. Yeah. So um, it happens more often in countries where people sleep on the floor. And in the United States, it happens more often when you're camping or when you're living um, in a place that's infested with something. I sleep on the floor. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. So I'm just going to tell you the most common bugs that are in people's ears. And then you tell me what you think is the worst. Okay. Because right. it does happen a lot. So the most common okay. bugs to be in people's ears are roaches, flies, and then spiders, which are arachnids, but we're counting them as bugs, bed bugs, bees, and fleas. So Ugh. what to you is the Yikes. worst? A roach. I'm going to go with bed bugs. You think a roach? I, I would think fleas because they can bite you repeatedly, right? So, so can bed bugs, I think. But Yeah, but so uh, could the yeah. bed bugs. Yeah, I didn't think that, about that's that. What they I also with. could like fill up and then get stuck because they'd be so fat because bed bugs can go get like five times their size after they start eating because they're real oh, flat when man, they go in gross. then they can get stuck <laughs> um do they stay in your ear like a, is there a risk of like you know a, a bug stuck in your ear like a big bed bug i mean they'll get stuck through having through your earwax or they'll just get lost in there i mean there's been cases of people having spiders building webs on their ears and they think it sounds like rice krispies because the spiders are tapping their feet on their eardrums you know and their oh. feet the sound of it sounds like rice krispies in their ears this got so much less cute so you should get it out if you think there's a bug in your ear i'll tell you something if i had a bug living in my ear like that i would be decidedly unethical about it <laughs> but don't kill it when it's in your ear let somebody else get it out because think of how many body parts bugs have but you can kill it with oil like you can a lot of people put oil in their ear and it kind of floats out a little bit but you still should go get your ear flushed out by a doctor just in case it happens to uh, any of us i'm gonna yeah. make an executive decision to move on from this question hey Tony, <laughs> no, wait, if I, no you know what if i ever got a bug in my ear here's what i would do i would put some oil in there and then i would go to niagara falls and i would just let the waterfall <laughs> <laughs> flush out my ear that's I, i'm making a commitment to all the listeners right now that's how i will handle it so if i'm not on the show one week you know where i am i'm at uh, got a bug in here and she's headed for niagara falls yeah, i'm either on my honeymoon or i got a bug in my ear <laughs> all right tony what's next let's do let's do another one yeah linda norbert suits writes in i live in central illinois Every fall for nearly 30 years, we welcomed the dragonfly migration to our yard as they passed through. This in turn brought swallows, nighthawks, and other bug eaters to the yard for an aerobatic show. The dragonfly stopped visiting us three to four years ago. Where did they go? What I love about 
what Linda's asking here is that is because she noticed that dragonflies migrate. I mean, we know that monarch butterflies migrate. We know that birds migrate, but all kinds of animals migrate. You know, great white sharks are leaving the coast of California right now to go 2,500 miles out into the ocean to eat. You know, I mean, dragonflies are one of those creatures that migrate. And so what she probably has are these um, wonderful dragonflies called um, darners. And they're really, really bright green, beautiful, big, and they're wonderful. And they go from the Gulf of Mexico up to Canada every year. So they leave, they fly north in February, May, lay eggs and die, go back down, you know, July and October, lay eggs and die. Dragonflies come in a group of about 500,000. And they eat between 1.5 million and 150 million mosquitoes as they pass through each town. They are really, really, really good for the environment that we want to have. And so it may be that they have shifted their migratory pattern. It may be because the temperatures are warmer. They've come earlier and she may have missed them. Or it may be that their breeding ground has been altered so that they're not able to come in that direction anymore. Or... The theaters that I work in uh, will very kindly, in my dressing room, they'll have like a fruit plate or a a cheese plate. And usually it's more than I could eat, even if I was gonna. Um, And oftentimes it's not what I'm particularly hungry for. So I started asking for Fritos (laughs) and uh, pita chips and hummus. And, but you know, I work one night, you know, I do one nighters. So I would get pita chips and hummus in one place, and then I get pita chips and hummus in the next place. And then pita, and eventually I'm like, all right, you know what? I can't eat. I like those food. I can't eat another pita chip and hummus. And so maybe the dragonflies were like, okay, no more mosquitoes, honestly. Get us a cheese plate. No more mosquitoes. <laughs> hey, you know, E.O. Wilson once said, if all mankind were to disappear, the world would regenerate back to the rich state of equilibrium that existed 10,000 years ago. If insects were to vanish, the environment would collapse into chaos. Yeah, but let's face it, insect Netflix would suck. But we'll look on the bright side of the bug takeover when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Little Yella from Grass Valley, California. I am so happy to be back out on the road. I am vaccinated and fully boosted. I wear a mask until just before I hit the stage and I put it back on just after. And I want my audience to be masked and vaxxed. Do you know why? Because I never want to lose the opportunity to perform in front of a live audience again. It has been so much fun. I got no supply chain problems. I'm backed up with jokes. I'm the crazy Eddie of jokes. I got way too many. I'm practically giving them away. My flight was delayed the other day because I kept stepping behind the first class curtain saying, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Paula Poundstone and stepping through to tell jokes to the rest of the people in coach. Even when they duct taped me to the seat, I said, duct tape? Why would a duck have tape? Why not sloth staples? Well, I guess sloths would staple too slow and the staple wouldn't hold. Besides, sloths ruled office work. You gotta come see me in a theater, just so I can get my dignity back.
to talk to Trump. Talking to the former president can be difficult, but by practicing these suggested phrases in front of a mirror for just a few minutes a day, you'll be saying what you need to say to him with confidence in no time. Get a pen and a paper and write them down. Today's phrase is, you don't think the people of the United States will stand for your indictment? Some won't like it, but 81,283,098 of them cast votes for Biden that you tried to overturn. They will stand for justice, which means they will absolutely stand for your indictment. Now put that ketchup down. <laughs> And we are back with Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice talking about bugs. It's Bugapalooza with questions from you, our beloved listeners. Tony, who's next? Wait, I have a follow-up question on one of the earlier ones, which is, uh, Eleanor, how did they figure out that the bugs felt pain? I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's a living creature that it would feel pain. But so what led them to think in the past that they didn't? What changed their mind? Well, they started watching how bugs responded to being injured. So you can injure like a caterpillar, a big fat caterpillar, and it will go back and try to like, heal, like take care of itself, even though it's not gravely injured and it won't die, it will like kind of do these soothing behaviors on its body, for example. So they've done experiments after watching bugs do things that seem like they're in pain. And they've noticed that they have pain receptors on their body. And they notice how it works within their central nervous system. Uh, do they just get injured or do they get pissed? Are they like, I'll kick your fucking ass? They will get really mad sometimes, even after they're injured. They're not like people you accidentally bump into on an airplane or anything that scream at you, but like you had, like you were doing it on purpose or anything. But they'll like lift up their little heads and kind of wave around, like, please leave me alone. Yeah. Are there other yeah. things you can do to annoy insects? Because, like, when I have a fly that's annoying me around my room, I really wish there was something I could do to irritate it back. It's already really irritated. That's why it's flying <laughs> around your room. It's trying to find a way to get out. Flies, house flies are one of those things that do not want to be inside. That's why they're always banging on windows and stuff. Well, then why would they call themselves house flies? I know. They're such idiots. I have no idea why they would have done that. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tony, what's next? We heard from Lisa Alexander on Facebook. Back in ancient times, there were insect plagues galore. Do they still happen anywhere in the world? And if so, what kinds of insects are typically involved? Yes, Lisa. Plagues, they still happen, usually by uh, locusts. A lot of people get locusts confused with other bugs, but a locust is just a grasshopper and um, a boring, regular grasshopper. But the thing about locusts is they have something called phenotypic uh, plasticity. And your phenotype is just the way that your physical um, representation of your genes, right? So like I have green eyes, but maybe if I had phenotypic plasticity as I grew up, my eyes might change to blue. Environmental conditions might change my oh. color. What happens is most locusts, most of the time, like to eat by themselves. They're these boring earth colors so nobody can find them, like greens and browns. But sometimes weather conditions are just perfect. It gets really wet. It rains. They change. They go from being solitary to gregarious. 
The second thing they do is change from being these boring colors to being very bright colors, like black and yellow, so that they can find each other easily and other animals will know not to mess with them. It's aposomatic coloration. They do one other thing, and that is they get really, really, really hungry. So they develop more quickly than a regular locust would develop. Now you have all these locusts that have found each other. They're all these bright colors. They're really, really hungry. And because they develop faster, they're able to reproduce really quickly and have a ton of babies. And that's when the plague starts. So there is a plague in Uh Africa that we've just come off of. It lasted from 2019 until 2021. It went across Africa and the Middle East, totally devastating. The plague was so huge, about 80 million. They ate as much food as 35,000 people eat in one day. Wow. wow. That's a desert locust. We used to have this locust called the Rocky Mountain locust that was pretty far across the United States. In 1875, they had a plague in the area of just the locust covered 198,000 square miles. It was larger than the state of California. And there were 12.5 trillion insects and in that they would black out the sky. There were so many locusts. And they totally devastated farming across the United States back in 1875. Maybe that's why they changed color, Eleanor. Maybe it's because they're on the lamb. Yeah. So <laughs> they go through and they devastate right crops for, you know, miles and miles and miles. And then people are like, all right, we're going to find those fucking green and brown. And they're like, no, it wasn't us. It, wa- it wasn't us. It was the green and brown guys. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's a disguise. Once they start turning yellow, can you stop them? That's when you should stop them. And that's why plagues are more common in, in areas where there's political instability. Because here in the United States, we made these these uh, locusts extinct mostly by accident because we farmed and we toiled up all the land where they were living. And so they are totally extinct as far as we know, the locus, the type of the Rocky Mountain locust in the United States. But in areas of the Middle East and Africa, you get a swarm, a plague coming in one area and they lift off, lift off the ground. They're constantly moving and you have to have a lot of coordination to handle it. And if you can't coordinate with your neighbor because you're killing them, you're not going to be able to do anything about the locusts. And so they're more devastating oh. in those areas where people already are having a lot of trouble with other things. It's another reason to vote Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, what's next? Let's move us away from locusts because now I'm scared. Fair. Uh, Vicki Sue Mary on Facebook writes, I would like info about love bugs. They're back here in Northwest Florida. Do they serve any useful purpose? I'm glad this question is after the plague question because a lot of people think of love bugs as a plague. Um, They show up twice a year in the southeastern United States and they arrive as adults in tremendous numbers, but very, very localized areas. They're almost always copulating for their entire adult life. The males emerge first and they wait like a giant party for a female to show up. A bunch (laughs) of dudes just hang out, you know, okay. And then when the females uh, like emerge, the males all like descend upon her to mate with her. So the one that wins does not want anybody else to mate with her. So they use their own bodies as a mating plug. So the female is just stuck to this male mating for her entire life, which is like up to 72 hours. And he has he sticks to her until she's completely mated and cannot mate with anybody else. And then she lays eggs and then it's all over for her. She's done. That was her whole life. So that's why you see them flying around mating. That's why they're called love bugs. 
Let's go back to locusts. <laughs> no, no, go on. You said people don't no, like love people bugs. People don't like love bugs because when they come, it's twice a year and it's like millions of bugs all at once for a couple of days. And the adults, the, the larvae are really delicious and they do serve a useful purpose. They're excellent biodegraders of like leaf litter. Robins love to eat them. They're a wonderful food source for birds. They're hugely abundant. So it's really great for animals. But the adults are very acidic. So they taste bad. And when people hit them with their cars, they can't scrape it off. And they're so acidic that they um, corrode the paint. And so they can really mess up people's paint jobs. And people don't like that. But ah. they, you can kill the ones, you know, with your car. You're never going to kill all of them. And Vicky Sue, if it makes you feel any better, they're really numerous, but they're a lot less numerous than they were, you know, several years ago because we use so many like home yard pesticide sprays that we've killed a bunch of the lug bug swarms. Well, back in the day, we called them free love bugs, and there were a lot of them. <laughs> and I guess a, a, lo a love bug could never lie about being single if they're not. Well, the girls can't. The boys can go on. Oh, they can They can eventually leave. The females don't have a lot of choice. It's another good reason to vote Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of insects have mating plugs like this, but they don't use their whole bodies. And a lot of them, when they do mating plugs, they'll put something sweet on the mating plug. So she'll be plugged up and it's this like sweet treat for her to eat. And it, she, so she tries to eat off the thing. And by the time she's done eating, she's fully fertilized, but at least she has something to eat. Love bugs just have to fly around with this like dude stuck to her butt all the time. Wow. So. <laughs> right, Tony, let's, let's do another, maybe something cheerier. Yeah. Um, moving on. So Rachel Levine writes, how do we get rid of lanternflies? It seems impossible. Joanne Robinette agreed with her, saying they are just the most annoying flying creeps. And D. Jess Klein wrote, what's the deal with spotted lanternflies? Lanternflies are a type of plant hopper. So they're not flies and we're related to aphids or uh, any other plant hopper type thing that you'd see or, or um, stink bugs or something. They're true bugs. So they have piercing, sucking mouth parts. And so they're really, really bad for plants. Um, they were introduced to Pennsylvania in 2014 from China. And since they've gotten here, they've caused over um, $100 million in agricultural damage and more than $200 million in uh, forestry damage. They're terrible. What can we do about them? So we really can't do that much about them. Um, if you see them, you should kill them. If you're outside of their established range, if you see a lanternfly, you need to call your ag extension office. Well, don't they fly around? So yeah. if you see one and you call the agriculture, <laughs> what are they going to do? You're going to go, well, it was here a minute ago. You're going to squash it so that they can see it. Oh, I see. Or you can take a picture of it. Oh, okay. But go ahead and squash it too. Yeah. One thing they're doing that I think is kind of neat, lanternflies love this type of tree called the tree of heaven. So what they do is they grow these big trees and then they fill the tree with insecticide. So all the lanternflies are attracted to the tree and they come and they eat it and then they die. All right. And I think this is a good time to remind our listeners, don't just bite any tree you see. <laughs> yes, that's right. Hey, uh, yeah. Tony, let's, let's do another. Kathleen Wilnauer on Facebook writes, do spiders drink water? Yes, they do. They use a sippy cup though, right? It's a sippy cup. <laughs> they, yeah. do. they do. They get a lot of liquid from the prey, but they also need to drink water. You'll see them in your shower. 
sometimes um, drinking the water off the side of your shower or it drops or they feed off of dew. You'll see them drinking water, the dew in your grass. So they do. They drink water. All right, Tony, what else? Uh, Justin Valley, um, who's all known as, I guess, CHA underscore Big Bear on Twitter, writes, knowing the major beneficial impacts that insects have on our ecosystem, should we take stronger actions against the use of pesticides and urban development methods that negatively impact these important insects? Yes, we should. And we should vote for people who are interested in that kind of stuff. I mean, we we don't think about these dragonflies and all that they're doing in this world and when we're like plowing over these tiny streams that they might be nesting, that might be laying their eggs in. And another problem is that we always say, what good do they do when we talk about life that isn't human life? But the thing is, the world's not really here to serve people. It's this complicated network that's evolved in concert with like countless seen and unseen facets of the planet, right? That may indirectly impact us in ways that we might not ever, ever realize. So we really need to protect these natural areas and use common sense when we're talking about developing things and use common sense when we're using pesticides. So yes, Justin, you're right. I'm intrigued by this idea that they may be, you know, benefiting us in ways that we don't even know about. Like, I really, I've let my hair grow mostly just by ignoring it, mm-hmm. not really doing anything in particular, but I've been ignoring my hair for a couple of years now. And I was hoping for a Rita Hayward kind of look. And uh, <laughs> so far, I really haven't had that. But it may be because there's a species of bug that we inadvertently got rid of or have limited. And somehow that's affecting my hair. That's a possibility. Well, this is true. That's that's exactly <laughs> the just, kind of impacts I was thinking of. <laughs> it's just ways that we don't know about. And yeah. years later, we'll find out, oh, my God, she could add exactly Rita Hayworth hair. But we yeah. uh, messed with the lantern fly. Damn it. That's what, That might be what did it, Paul. Well, something's doing it. Hey, Eleanor, that was fantastic. And now we are going to take all that info that you dropped on us and run it through the old Pounstonator. Paula? You said Paula kind of creepy. I know. That, well, let me do that again. <laughs> Paula? House band John Storer on the guitar. Thank you so much for your wonderful contribution to our show. You sound great, and we really appreciate it. If I could get you to give me some background music here, I'll tell you what the old Pounstonator spit out. Nice. Dr. Eleanor Spicer-Rice, you speak with such knowledge, love, and enthusiasm on bugs, it makes me see them in a different light. I mean, when I hear you talk, I realize, once again, humans aren't the only ones. As you said, it's not all designed for us. Who would have thought that we have so much in common with bugs? I'll bet you, if we could get way down into their hidey holes, we'd find they even entertain one another like us. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Love Bug Lily. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. It's so nice to be here. I know what you're thinking. Who's that guy hanging off you? Well, I'm a female love bug, and I made the mistake of mating with this guy, and now he's high, high hosied me. Shit. God, I hate my parents. I had to be a love bug, huh? I like sweet, sticky stuff. I wouldn't mind licking some marshmallow fluff off myself while I wait to fertilize, but oh no. 
I gotta be shackled with Romeo here. Oh my God. I drank some soda yesterday and I couldn't sleep last night. I, I, I should have known better. I had an uncle who worked in a lab. Can you believe people didn't know we sleep? God, humans are self-centered. What were they thinking? We just stop and stare into space? What the fuck? Did they think they're the only ones with circadian rhythms and a central nervous system? Hey, Romeo, I I'm going over here now. We're not in the round. The stage doesn't rotate, I do. Let's see, what else is going on? Did you hear about the cockroach that got crushed between a plastic earbud cover and a Dave Grohl pillow in a human's ear? <laughs> what kind of a fucking idiot walks into a human's ear? A, a cockroach idiot. That's what kind. Too soon? Wait, sir. Is, is that guy leaving? Mr. Cockroach! Mr. Cockroach, I'm sorry. I, I was kidding. I love cockroaches. Don't leave. Come on, sit back down. Cockroaches are great! What, are you kidding me? Your males have the good sense to fucking move on, not like love bugs. Hey, you're gonna be the only ones left after Putin has his hissy fit. Speaking of political instability, the United States will be plague-ready any day now. Say, were any of you part of the African plague over there? Romeo, we're turning again. Oh, yeah, back there. I, I didn't recognize you. You're all green and brown. Don't go changing to try and eat crops. All right, thank you so much for coming. You've been a fantastic crowd. Next time you're in a human ear, it would be a good time to shout, Yes, we feel pain, you fucking idiot. Stay safe. Stay away from shoes and open palms. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Author, entomologist, and our resident bug expert. I hope this is only the first of many bugapaloozas. Dr. Eleanor Spicer Ooh, Rice, everyone. Yeah. 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 Thank you for having me. I love being here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Coming up, Bonnie, Bonnie, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? We'll find out because it's time for <laughs> Garden Time with Captain Crinkle when we come back. Fun fact, the reason birds raise their heads like that when they eat is because unlike mammals, they actually need gravity to swallow, which is what led to the tragic death of Astro Duck. <laughs> and now, here is a breaking news update from the dental chair. The queen is dead. <laughs> this has been a breaking news update from the dental chair. <laughs> and thank you, John Storer. Hey, that's sounding really hot there. Ooh. Yeah. And now it is time for one of our new segments. <laughs> We're going to bring Bonnie Burns forward for Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. I'm a little seed. I need lots of sun. It feeds my growing body. It warms me up. 
And now it's garden <laughs> time with Captain Crinkle. <laughs> There are some good gardening practices that just make a lot of sense, both for experienced gardeners and for new ones. Today, I'll share some of those practices, lessons for new gardeners on Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. Wow. Let's welcome Bonnie. Um, uh, Captain Crinkle, step on up and uh, tell us what's happening on Garden Time today. Hello, gardeners. Today, I'm going to switch gears and tell you about how to pick a delicious ripe melon at the grocery store. And we won't just talk about what to do in our home gardens. Now, there's no. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait, hold on a second. This is not, not only is this Garden Time with Captain Crinkle, I think this is our second installment of Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. And you're already changing things up and going to the grocery store? What the fuck? <laughs> well, for people who don't grow their own melons, I'm showing you how to get the tasty... No, wait a minute. Okay, ask me the question again. Ask me a question. Ask me the okay. question again. My question is, what the fuck? <laughs> no. no, I like the other question better. Well, Adam, there's no bigger summer letdown than cutting into a newly bought melon, only to find the insides pale, dried out, or even moldy, although that's never happened to me. I think there's another kind of summer letdown where you wait all the whole <laughs> Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone show for the Garden Time with Captain Crinkle, and she talks about buying something at a grocery store. That, that's a summer letdown right there. Bonnie, approximately how many melons are growing in your garden right now? Well, Adam... For many shoppers, picking a perfectly ripe melon can be challenging. <laughs> you may not be able to feel for firmness or smell for sweetness like you can with some fruit. But there are ways to ensure that you wind up with a picnic-worthy melon. Now, I have here a watermelon. I don't think she answered the question. Now, I have here a watermelon. <laughs> Most of us have learned that the way to tell if a melon is ripe, hold it in your hands and give the surface a light knock. There's a surface I would like to give a light knock right a now. A deep hollow sound means a melon is ripe and juicy. No, usually you hear, uh, I'll be right there. <laughs> Does that sound ripe and juicy to you? Yes, a deep, hollow sound is what most of us have learned means that the melon is ripe and juicy. But picking the right melon is more complicated. Come on in, I'm ripe and juicy. Come on in. Here are some tips <laughs> to ensure your next melon is picnic worthy. Now, where did this film strip voice come from? <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention to the size and weight of the melon. Whether it's large or small, a ripe melon will feel heavy for its size. Pick it up and make a note of how heavy your melon feels. A melon that feels heavier <laughs> than it looks is juicy and refreshing. A melon that seems lightweight may be dried out, bland, or moldy. 
Was this pre-recorded? Because I can't interject <laughs> anything. No, no, I can't get a word. It. She's not. She's just gone to this, this this dead place in her eyes where she's just reciting melon facts. The next thing for you to do she's, is to she's like a see? shark, dead eyes. The next thing for you to do is check for defects on the rind. Turn the melon in your hands and carefully inspect the surface area. Avoid melons that have bruises, cracks, or soft spots. Uh, I think most people knew not to buy a melon with a crack in it. And a soft spot. I don't feel that's much of a revelation right there. Now, here's a tip that surprised me, and it may surprise you. Look at the color of the rind. Ma'am, is Bonnie Burns in there somewhere? <laughs> Look at the color of the rind. <laughs> and if, if, if you see her, can we talk to her? No matter the melon, a doll rind. She's been kidnapped by this. What a weird Amish gentleman. No matter the melon. You give body burns back. A doll rind indicates the melon is perfectly ripe. A doll rind. The melon to avoid is the one with the shiny surface. You might have thought it was just the opposite. I totally thought it was the opposite. You give Bonnie Burns back, you film strip woman. We don't have any money on this show. We make five cents an hour. Now we can't. We can't pay for her. If you see a watermelon that has a yellow spot, what the fuck? On one side, don't be put off by that. That's just where the melon was laying before it was harvested. A cantaloupe has that. Uh, Hold on a minute. Wait, this is a chance. <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie, blink if you're being held against your will. Cantaloupes should be a golden orange shade beneath that tan netted texture on the rind. We're all familiar with that tan netted texture, aren't we? Oh, yeah. yes, we are. Yes. Adam isn't. Now it's time to knock on the surface of your melon. Bonnie Burns wasn't. To see if it is ripe. Now, I couldn't find a whole cantaloupe because I ate it. But here, oh no. <laughs> but here. Well, that's a good reason. That's at least a good reason. But here. This is scarier than the fucking hacienda. Oh no. On a quarter of Super cantaloupe creepy. that's left. And well, here, listen for the sound. <laughs> this sounds hollow. I don't think you have to wait. It's because you ate it. I don't think you have to wait. No, it doesn't sound hollow because it's just a slice of cantaloupe you're slapping. That's my point. And by the way, I don't know what slapping your cantaloupe is a metaphor for, but it's something nasty. That's, That's my point. You may not even need a whole watermelon or cantaloupe to hit to know if it's healthy to eat. Now, lastly, oh my God, give your melon the sniff test. Oh, Jesus, that is like a, that's a safe word or something. Yeah, that, <laughs> what? This, this whole segment isn't passing the sniff test, if you know what I mean. <laughs> One thing to know is that a ripe watermelon does not give off a scent when uncut, but a ripe honeydew melon or cantaloupe gives off a faintly sweet aroma. Press lightly on the softer underside of the melon, right where the stem was, and give it a deep sniff. Uh, you're not doing it, Bonnie. I want to see you giving it a you deep sniff. This, this is this quarter of a cantaloupe is all I have left. 
Mm. Well, that's going to smell like a cantaloupe because you cut it open. We need to um, we need to post a picture of the outfit that Captain Crinkle is wearing because if we can get this up in time, and Tony will need your help with this, we could manufacture Halloween costumes. <laughs> Kids, kids could go as uh, Garden <laughs> Garden Captain Crinkle. Cap, Garden Captain Crinkle, who looks like somewhere between, like, Freddy Krueger and, uh, and, and, and the Quaker Oats guy. And, and the Quaker Oats guy. Well, Adam and Paula, it's important to keep the sun out of your face. It's very aging. Oh, my when God. When you're at the grocery store? <laughs> <laughs> when you're at the fucking grocery store, Miss Garden Time? Oh. Is that when you want the sun out of your face? That's true. <laughs> I can't believe she even goes to the grocery store. She definitely is the type to order the... The groceries delivered to her, um, but probably make the delivery guy wear that outfit. <laughs> I want to end. So do That's I. Perfect, because I want you to end. <laughs> I want to now say, despite your efforts, the melon that you take home is not yet ripe. Here's what you should do. The best way to ripen a melon is to heat it up and keep it insulated. You can do that by placing the melon in a brown paper bag that is just big enough for the melon to fit and have air on all the sides around it. Open a bag. Say, <laughs> you're not saying this off the top of your head, are you? No, it feels like she's just reading. <laughs> wow. I thought you were going to suggest microwaving your melon. In fact, I don't think she wrote this. I think she's reading us something. Somebody, she found some stuff on the internet. You did, Bonnie, didn't you? Open a bag. Oh, you she... found this shit on the internet and you're reading it verbatim. <laughs> Open a bag and place the melon inside. Then seal the bag back up. Put it next to the rest of the fruit in your kitchen. And every few days, check the bag. When the melon is where you want it to be, Like I got nothing out. fucking better to do <laughs> to than check, check a bag every bag. few days. I hope you have enjoyed this segment of Gardening Tips with Captain Crinkle. Until next time. It's garden time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed garden time. What are you, I Mr. Movie you Phone? Enjoyed, what the fuck? I hope you have enjoyed garden time with Captain Crinkle. She's malfunctioning. Until <clears throat> next time, keep your hand trowel clean and your garden fork handy. Garden fork? <laughs> Um, Bonnie, yeah. are you back yeah. yet? <laughs> yes, I'm back. Oh, my God. It was impenetrable. I know. It was an out-of-the-body <laughs> experience. It was like she, was, she wasn't with us anymore. It was truly an out-of-body experience. <laughs> it was. It was an out-of-body experience. That's going to be the name of the costume. <laughs> out-of-body oh. experience. Tony, get your sewing machine out, Tony, because uh, 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 this is this is your special time of the year. That was garden Woo. time with Captain Crinkle. If you were to take your garden trowel into the grocery store, they probably wouldn't let you come in. You know, having this cantaloupe here has made me kind of hungry. Mm. So now we're watching you eat cantaloupe. By accident. Like oh, that's ASMR. a good cantaloupe, Bonnie. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Thank you, Bonnie Burns. Um, <laughs> hey, nobody's. If you have any questions or comments, 
And you don't have to comment that Garden Time was about shopping <laughs> in a supermarket. We know that. But send it all to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? <laughs> Adam, as you know, I hired Cynthia Cryer Public Relations to help me promote my shows, cat toys, worm castings, and other products available at paulapoundstone.com. And Adam and our listeners and Bonnie and Tony and Julian, yes, Heidi, I owe you all an apology. Cynthia Cryer turned me into a self-promotional monster. I see it now. I want you to know I fired Cynthia Cryer and I'm totally oh. changing this section of the show that I call the Plugorama. From now on, here's how I will handle plugging my shows and products on our show. See this fishbowl? On each of these pieces of paper that I put into this <laughs> fishbowl, I've put a bit of information. Some are about my products or shows. Some are about other things. I even put one in there about your podcast, Adam. So here's what I'll do. Instead of going on and on and on, I'll just pick pieces of paper from the fishbowl and read them. No psychological techniques to manipulate sales. I'll just pull out a fact and read it. I'll do that a few times and then we're done. That's it. Done. Fantastic. Here, I'll show you. Uh, Take the fishbowl. Uh, 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 pull a paper. Oh, on Friday, October 21st, I'll be in Terrytown, New York at Terrytown Music Hall. Tickets are at paulapoundstone.com. Click on the tour page. Oh, that's Simple as that. Yeah. Here's another. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone cozy hooded sweatshirts that come with a copy of Simple Sample Dialogue to help the listeners share with their friends and family that they listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone are available at paulapoundstone.com. Huh. Well, that was easy. There. See how clean and quick that is? Yeah, very quick. It's just what I pulled out of the fishbowl. It's random. Here's another. Charles Dickens regularly walks 20 to 30 miles at a time to work through thoughts. Just a fact. Here's the last one. Oh, it's a fish. Wow. Well, that's it then. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. What's in his mouth? Oh, on Saturday, October 22nd, I'll be in Fall River, Massachusetts at the Narrow Center for the Arts. Tickets are at paulapoundstone.com. Click on tour. Okay, that's it. Sorry, the one about your podcast didn't come up. It's in there, though, so maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's really disappointing that a just a random assemblage of facts happened to be your upcoming dates, uh, a promotion for uh, uh, your products, and uh, nothing about my other podcast, Dad Bandland. Yeah, well, it's the luck of the draw. Next time. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's weird because, like, you would think that, like, just luck of the draw would get something besides stuff about you and Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen this time. Uh, you know what? It might come up on the next um, Garden Time with Captain Crinkle. <laughs> well, anything might come up during that. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be about gardening. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Paula, we've come to that part in the podcast where we ask the very important question. Oh. Did you use this week's vocabulary word? <sighs> importune correctly during the show. Now, if you have, oh. we'll be treated to a little bit of the amazing share, and you'll get to mail her a check for $1. If you haven't, we'll hear from our resident psychic, Cher Eva. Okay, so, did Paula Poundstone use this week's vocabulary word, importune, correctly during the course of today's show? I knew it. 
I knew it. Oh, Paula. Oh, I cannot remember I'm so anything. I'm sorry. What? What? Uh, what? Put your share, like, reaching down into the mailbox to be certain that there's nothing in there. Damn it, yep, Cher. I'm sorry. Reaching all the way down there and going, I believe that I'll have a check. And yeah. Sorry, Cher. <laughs> Next time. Next time, maybe share. Hey, everybody. Uh, remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. And you know what? You could even drop us a review. I'm told that that's really helpful. Hey, if there's a subject or topic you want to know more about, tell us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Eleanor Spicer Rice. And thanks to our house band, John Storer. Our show be produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezemnik, and Julie Burkobian. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? It's like she went into some kind of trance. (laughs) That's what I was just thinking. Like, what the hell happened to her? It was like she was on a track, and there was no way to... She was like an AI or something, right? Yeah. Isn't that what... Just just an automaton walking by. You could throw eggs at it, but you weren't going to stop it. Yeah, she was like programmed somehow. I'll bet it was Russia. That's what I think. I think it was Russia. Oh, my God. Or, Russia? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You think Russia got to Bonnie Burns? Yeah, it was a, she was a, clearly like some sort of Putin. Like There was kind of an accent there. like. Oh, yeah, know. yeah. Don't buy yeah. the soft ones because they yeah. are bad. Yeah, because I've eaten it. Oh, my God. It was just, I've you know, I've worked with Bonnie for a long, long time, and I've never seen anything the, like that. I don't know what that was, but that wasn't Bonnie. <laughs> it wasn't Bonnie. I'm telling you. Um... If I had ever seen her like that before, she would have yeah. gone the way of Cynthia Cryer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe you fired that lady. You know, she was 5000 a week. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. That's, that was that's more than what we earned by about 5000 5, a week. Yeah, <laughs> A week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm up to five cents a day now on this podcast, and that's because I gave myself a raise. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'll get one sometime. Right? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Feels like where we came in. What's so funny about this? The idea about me earning a couple dollars on a podcast? Hey. Hey. Hey, come on.
Scarpins Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.